Draconian as the regulations laid down in these early books of the Bible might seem, one thing is clear. For Israel to succeed, God needs to be sure that his people fall in line with these rules and cease living according to the pagan habits which they picked up in Egypt. Pretty much everything that Israelites are told to do appears to be the opposite of how things are done in Egypt and Canaan. While everyone else sags, Israel must sig, otherwise how will people know that they are Israelites? This still plays out today with large numbers of Jews adhering to many of the codes around dress, diet and hygiene. Christians too are often told that their behaviour and attitudes should mark them out as distinct from non-Christians. For Israel, this is like a desert boot camp. The question is, will they rise to the challenge or will it break them? My name is Chaz Bayfield and this is Holy Bible Episode 31 – Sex Crimes. So, Holy Bible. This is the podcast which I write and produce during the few windows in the week when my dog is asleep. A needy Pomeranian Yorkie mix, if anyone is asking. Other things you should know? Although this podcast concerns itself with the Bible, I am not a priest, nor am I a theologian. I'm an advertising creative director who's fascinated at how a book this ancient can still be a critical part of three major belief systems and a how-to manual for billions of the Earth's people. It's a true marvel, so if you haven't read it, and probably never will, do dip into this podcast. To help you navigate, we're three books in, in the book of Leviticus, and we're neck deep in Jewish laws about purity, which might be as good a place as any to start. And we're about to focus our hitherto averted gaze on the giant elephant in the Judeo-Christian world that is homosexuality. If I didn't have your attention before, I do now. Okay. Fasten your seatbelts, this bus is ready to leave. The book of Leviticus makes it clear that God expects his people's focus to be on him, not other gods. One such rival god is called Molech, who appears to demand child sacrifice. Anyone found offering up their children to this god must be stoned to death, God says. The outrage will have happened in the same camp as the tabernacle, and such behaviour defiles everything within the compound. God is so serious about stamping on ritual infanticide that if the Israelites don't eliminate people who do this, he will personally intervene and cut them, their families and anyone else who joins in with them off from the rest of Israel. The book repeats laws given just a couple of chapters earlier. God outlaws mediums and spiritists, that is, people who believe they can contact the spirits of the dead. This countercultural behaviour is so unwelcome in Israel that God warns people who follow this path that they will also be cut off. His recurring mantra remains that he is God, he is holy, and that his people need to demonstrate their holiness and set-apartness by sticking to his rulebook. The Israelites have already been warned several times to honour their parents, but cursing a mother or father is seen as a deliberate commandment breach and a line has been crossed. A curse in the Bible is really a prayer for bad things to happen to someone. In the book of Genesis, Noah famously curses his son Ham for seeing him naked while he was sleeping off a night of heavy drinking. Ham's son is Canaan, and it is his descendants' ancestral land that is scheduled to be taken over by the Israelites. Anyone guilty of cursing a parent can expect the death penalty. Adultery is given its first explicit mention since the Ten Commandments were issued back in the book of Exodus. Any man who messes around with someone else's wife should be put to death, along with the woman he has been liaising with. 
However, biblical adultery appears to only take place when the woman is married. A husband who sleeps with an unmarried woman seems able to simply add her as a new wife. There are reminders for a man not to sleep with his father's wife, most likely a second or additional wife to the man's mother, as well as warnings not to jump into bed with his daughter-in-law. These crimes of passion threaten to break up families, and in a culture where the family unit is central to the nation's growth and future success, the only ironclad deterrent is the death penalty for all involved. These people have made their own beds, and Leviticus makes it very clear that their blood will be on their own heads. God's list of who can and can't be a man's sexual partner continues with a hot potato that remains one of the most contentious issues in the whole Bible. According to the book of Leviticus, men who have sexual relations with one another have done something detestable and should be executed for their crime. The book's hardline attitude towards gay people has led to a culture of homophobia in many countries and at the same time has given many non-believers a stick to beat the Bible with. In fact, many even see its inclusion in modern Bibles as a reason not to believe. After all, how can a bigoted God be good? As with many statements in the Old Testament, context is everything. At the time that much of the Bible is written, adult men are able to enter sexual relationships with young boys without a care in the world. Pagan temples are littered with male and female prostitutes, and sexual hedonism is rife. The subtext is that God wants to wipe out any traces of paganism in his people before bringing them into their new home. To this end, he has built a tabernacle to purify them and his laws help purge them of the life before. Israel's future conquest of Canaan will be seen as a cleansing and purification of this equally pagan country and God needs his people to be utterly separate from anything that happened earlier. Sex between men is not framed in the Bible as a love act. It appears to be either a ritual or hedonistic practice that has little to do with the romance and monogamous relationships common among LGBTQ plus people today. As if to back this up, there is no mention of lesbian relationships either existing or being taboo, adding weight to the argument that gay sex in the pagan Near East is a power play perpetrated by male aggressors on other weaker and younger men. However, homosexuality is also roundly condemned in the New Testament, although Jesus notably fails to mention it. The Apostle Paul is an outspoken opponent of same-sex relationships, which has caused no end of misery for gay people both in the church and those persecuted by it. Yet Paul too appears to be coming down hard on debauched behaviour and promiscuity, which are contrary to the Christian ideals set in place by Jesus, who teaches love, respect and self-control, rather than act now, ask questions later hedonism. The churches in Corinth and Rome to whom Paul sings the praises of monogamy appear to be making homosexual sex a lifestyle choice, rather like getting drunk, partying excessively and using prostitutes, a fun pastime rather than an actual sexual orientation. Those who believe every letter of the Bible accept that because Leviticus forbids it and Paul warns against it, homosexuality is a sin. However, even the most hardcore Bible fanatic would have to also accept that if this is so, then it is no greater nor less than any other sin, such as gossiping or being envious of a neighbour's new jeep. Other more liberal believers look at the bigger picture and see that the ban on homosexuality sits alongside many rules which are less rigorously obeyed today, such as wearing clothes of mixed fibre or planting two kinds of seed in the same field, which, according to Leviticus, are equally detestable to God. 
Some Christians remain deeply homophobic, regardless of their religion. They see homosexuality as an aberration that doesn't exist in nature and recoil from it in disgust. They fear it, and some even believe that there is a gay agenda to convert more people to homosexuality and destroy the family unit. Others take a more liberal stance and see it as a work in progress. They're asking themselves if things are going to pan out in the way that slavery has done, where Christian attitudes and opinion have changed despite what is written in the Bible, or whether homosexuality will sit alongside adultery, which looks set to be a no-no until the end of time. In fairness, many Christians believe that it takes all sorts to make a world, and a church, but others remain convinced that homosexuality is the devil's work. The jury is still out as to whether people are born to have same-sex attraction or whether this results from experiences in their upbringing and, until they are persuaded otherwise, defenders of the Bible will continue to embargo homosexual behaviour. However, more and more churches are accepting that same-sex attraction is not something people choose, but they can choose what they do with this attraction. Plenty of Christians are fairly tolerant of what two men or women get up to in private, and while many churches maintain that homosexuality is a sin, more are still waiting for everything to settle down a bit before deciding which way to go. The book continues with its list of forbidden liaisons, covering old ground and introducing new couplings, all of which must have been common enough in Israel to warrant an indictment against them. A man who marries both a woman and her mother can consider himself wicked according to the rules laid down in Leviticus. It's not the multiple spouses that appear to be the problem, more the fact that the mother-daughter relationship is corrupted by the fact that they are both in a sexual relationship with the same man. Unfortunately for any couples, or thruples who swing that way, their punishment is to be burned in the fire, ensuring that the lifestyle they have chosen doesn't infect the rest of the camp. Death by fire is believed to involve burying the condemned up to their armpits in dung and fastening a collar around their necks. When the collar is tightened, the person's mouth opens involuntarily, at which point molten lead is poured down their throat. That way, the bodies remain unblemished. A man who chooses to have sex with an animal also finds himself in deep water. He has profaned the camp in a way that can't be undone, and he too must die. The animal has also been contaminated by association and should be killed too. Women who are presenting themselves to be ravished by beasts, either wild or domestic, are reminded that they and their four-legged friends both face the death penalty. Men who marry their sisters or half-sisters and proceed to sleep with them are reminded that they have chosen the wrong partners and that they will be shamed in public, removed from Israel as undesirables. The marriage here suggests casual sex, which could involve anything from consensual relationships to rape, and as such, they dishonour the woman. God warns men that as the more dominant sex, they are the ones who will be held responsible. The Bible is not a fan of women having sex during their periods. If this happens accidentally, seven days quarantine has already been prescribed. But if a man and woman are willing and knowing participants in lovemaking during menstruation, they have exposed the woman's unclean blood. The Bible sees bodily secretions such as blood and sperm as somehow connected to sin, which is why they are treated with such contempt. To deliberately expose the body to something that is seen as sinful is a non-starter in Israel, and the couple face permanent ostracism from the rest of their people. Reminders are given about other women who are out of bounds sexually for a man, aunts who are either the sisters of his parents or the wives of his uncles. A man may not go anywhere near his brother's wife for sex. If he does, God promises that he and the woman will remain childless. 
God reiterates to his people why he is making all these rules. He needs them to be pure, so that the pure, clean land he has prepared for them in Canaan won't reject them and vomit them out like it will the current crop of pagan tenants. God explains that he has expressly set Israel apart so that its people can thrive in their new land of milk and honey, but in order to attain the requisite level of purity, they need to end all pagan behaviours now. God then turns his attention away from what Hebrew men and women are getting up to when no one's looking and reminds people to observe the laws regarding clean and unclean food. Israel needs to be distinct from other nations, Leviticus says, and not gorging on anything that moves, just like not sleeping with anything that moves, is a sure sign that its people are setting themselves up as a separate nation. For the third time, God forbids the practice of being a medium or spiritist. Trying to tap into the spirit world encroaches on God's remit and is not done to honour him or with his blessing. As such, it is a secret crime that has a very public punishment. The medium, who appears typically to be a woman, is to be killed by stoning. This method of execution involves the woman being taken by her peers to the edge of the camp and dying in a hail of rocks. The most common way of stoning someone is to drop them headfirst off a wall or cliff that is around twice the height of a man. This will knock the person out but not kill them, and the mob then finishes off the job by hurling heavy stones at them. Shockingly, stoning remains a legitimate punishment in some countries, and is most commonly used today to execute women who are accused of adultery. If God's people need to be set apart, his priests need to answer to an even higher standard of purity. Of all people, priests need to remain ritually clean at all times. This means that they cannot have any contact with dead bodies unless they are an immediate family member. Contact with parents, children and unmarried sisters is permissible, but in-laws are out of bounds. What this contact entails isn't specified, but simply being in the same house as a corpse defiles a person, and a priest who has lost a loved family member would naturally want to be there for his loved ones. Priests may not shave their heads, trim their beards, nor deliberately cut themselves, as this is seen as pagan behaviour. The rules about shaving and trimming beards is relatively vague, leaving many Jewish men to make up their own interpretations of what this means. Some Orthodox Jews abstain from using razors altogether, but allow scissors, while others never cut their hair and only trim their moustaches when they interfere with eating. Priests must be set apart from God and lead by example. These are the men who bring food offerings to God, and so to have one foot in a pagan lifestyle is seen as unacceptable. As such, they may not marry prostitutes or divorcees. It's a simple formula, God says. The onus is on the Israelites to ensure that they keep their priests holy, just as God ensures that his people stick to the rules he has given them. If the daughter of a priest becomes a prostitute, the intimation that this would be part of a fertility cult, she must die by fire as she has brought disgrace on her father's status as priest. According to Jewish sources, this burning isn't by having molten lead poured down the throat, but by having bundles of wood placed around the woman. The high priest has an even greater responsibility to be virtuous. He mustn't show any outward signs of grief, such as growing his hair and beard, nor tearing his clothes. Unlike regular priests, he may not enter a house where there is a dead body, even if that body is one of his own parents. In what seems a life-limiting mandate, he is forbidden to leave the tabernacle compound. This seems impossible given that there are no obvious living quarters. The sense here is that he may not leave the sacred tent mid-service if he hears that someone close to him has died. 
God makes it clear many times in Leviticus that he is a God apart from other gods, which is why he needs his people, and especially his priests, to separate themselves from the worldly corruption of other nations. The high priest may only marry a virgin, which means that widows, divorcees or reformed prostitutes are all out of bounds. His wife must be an Israelite, God says, otherwise his bloodline will be defiled. In the same way that only unblemished animals may be sacrificed as offerings, it appears that physical wholeness is a mandatory for a priest. Moses is told that any descendant of Aaron who is blind, disfigured or otherwise disabled is mandatorily exempt from priestly duties. The list of disabilities in Leviticus is a colourful one. Among those excluded from the priesthood are anyone who has crippled hands or feet, anyone who is a hunchback or a dwarf, or who has any eye defect, festering or running sores, or damaged testicles. Any descendant of Aaron who suffers from any of these conditions is forbidden to approach the tabernacle altar, but is still allowed to eat the food allocated to priests. Physical imperfections are seen in Old Testament times as evidence of sin, which is why those who suffer from them are forbidden to grace the rarefied inner sanctum of Israel that is the tabernacle. Moses then takes all the information which God has given him to Aaron and his two surviving sons, and also shares it with the whole of Israel. So, that was one of the more controversial sequences in the Bible. I hope you appreciate the huge differences of opinion on some of these subjects, and therein lies the purpose of Holy Bible. Much internet bandwidth is used up with people from various sides shouting at, trolling or explaining to those who share different opinions. But the role of this podcast is to simply retell what is written and leave you the listener to make up your minds. Can a person be accepting of gay sex and still profess to be a Christian? Or is anyone who does so going to hell in a rainbow coloured handcart? The Jewish laws are nothing if not colourful and there is another slew coming up next episode. Holy Bible is written and produced by me, Chas Bayfield, with music by Michael Old and John Hawkins Music. Cover art is by Lisa Goff. Please send any feedback to contact at holybible.com. Listener.